Father, we're grateful that you join us here as we gather together as your family, as a church, as we prepare and reflect on what this season truly means, as we remember those who awaited your coming so long ago and we reflect on the fact that we are waiting your return here today. So God, pray that this morning as your scripture is read that you'd open our minds, our eyes, our ears, and our hearts that we could truly receive what you have for us today. And as always, we pray that our hands and our feet would be put to action, that this word would be put into action each and every day, everywhere we go. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. So this morning, I wanna start by showing you uh, the image that we've chosen for this Advent series. For those of you who have been around for a while, you know that since last April, we've had the sermon series that's been preparing us to bear something into the world, right? So uh, we started with the bare necessities. We talked about what it means and what it takes for us to be the church God calls us to be. Then bearing burdens, the truth that we are called to be a community, to walk alongside one another, not to leave each other alone in the struggles of this life. And then bear fruit. We saw that the fruit of God's spirit must be visible and growing in our lives. And this fall bear witness. It was a reminder that every single one of us is called to tell that story of God's glory and mercy and love to a world that's in desperate need of a savior. So that brings us to today, to this first Sunday in Advent. And we're gonna spend the weeks leading up to Christmas reflecting on what it means to bear Christ to wait as a pregnant mother waits for the arrival of new life, to prepare and make things ready for his arrival. And as we wait, as we prepare, that we are to do so with thanksgiving, with humility, with patience, and with joy. So as we were planning this out as a team, Emily Omanya on our staff, she sent me this. And this is a painting called Jump for Joy, and it's by an artist from North Carolina named Corby Eisbacher. And I sent him a note a couple weeks ago, I got his contact info and I told him how much I love the painting and just asked if we could have permission or how much it would cost to get permission (laughs) to use uh, his image and his response was sweet, no cost. Of course, you can use the image uh, at your church. Thanks for supporting my art. I give all the credit to the Lord. And he said, I'm simply a brush that God uses. So I thought that was sweet. Now I know that this image is different. There's no bears. But it just seemed right that especially in this season, I mean, we're celebrating the arrival of Jesus. We're waiting for his return. We're reminded that in Jesus, God descended becoming human. So it seemed right that we use actual humans this time. And also it was really hard to express this kind of joy with a couple of bears. But the reason that I love this image, this has been a really hard 20 months for everyone. It's just a really strange time. And this piece of art, the first time I saw it, it just reminded me what this is all about. And when I see it, it makes me thankful. It reminds me to be humble, reminds me to be patient, and it brings me joy. But I also get the sense that these two women know something that others don't. That the smile on their face is more than just the happy smile of someone who just found out that they're expecting. And we're gonna talk about that more in just a little bit. 
So what I wanna do today, I wanna read you this incredible passage from Hebrews 12. If you wanna start taking out your Bibles or your apps, the Pew Bibles are there. Hebrews, by the way, is in the New Testament. It's in the back of the Bible, just just in case, right? That's the one that always confuses people. Uh, Hebrews 12. Uh, And this passage is probably not one that's read very often in this season, but it's actually one of the first things that I thought of when I saw this painting. So as we consider what it means to bear Christ with thanksgiving, I just wanna read this, and then I'm gonna try to connect the dots uh, along the way. So I'm gonna read Hebrews 12. Uh, Actually, I'm gonna start in verse one, read a couple verses, then I'm gonna skip to verse 18 and read through 24. So Hebrews 12, it begins with therefore, and you know, anytime you see the word therefore in scripture, what do you say? What is it there for? Good, yeah. So you gotta go back and see what came before it, right? So it's always in reference to what came before. And Hebrews 11 just walks through this history of the saints of our faith, from Moses and Abraham and all the others who had an important role to play, but then it shows how Jesus is a better. He is a better version of everything that they did. So Hebrews 12 starts. Uh, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And then skipping down to verse 18, the pastor writes, he says, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire. You have not come to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they couldn't bear what was commanded. Even if an animal touches that mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But then in verse 22, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we're gonna spend our time today talking about verses 18 through 24. I just read one through three because those verses are awesome. (laughs) and I just wanted to read it. But these verses 18 through 24, they paint two very different pictures. One of them is a picture of pure joy just like this painting of these two expectant mothers. But the other picture is one of real fear and terror. So I wanna start with the fear and terror, (laughs) mostly because that'd be a really bad way to end. But don't worry, this is all really good news. So like I said, Hebrews is a New Testament book, but it's a book that's loaded and filled with Old Testament images. And we just don't have time today to go into all the images, even of what I've just read but I do wanna at least give you some background for those verses 18 through 21. Those verses that talked about a mountain that's burning with fire, a voice that terrified people, the burden of holiness that humans can't bear, and then even a leader, Moses, who was overcome with fear. 
So these verses, they point us back to one of the earliest stories in scripture. And it's the story of the Exodus and then God's presence with his people on a mountain called Sinai. So just really quick to catch you up. In Genesis, God calls a man named Abraham and his wife, Sarah, to be the mother and father of a family, of a people who eventually will be known as Israel. And that family grows and over the generations, they begin to flourish just as God promised, but eventually they experience a famine. And because of the famine, they actually have to find their way to Egypt just to survive. And this was actually a really good thing because they found exactly what they needed in Egypt. It was a good thing. Dot, dot, dot. (laughs) Until it wasn't, right? Because over the centuries in Egypt, eventually this family of God is enslaved and they're oppressed. And they're eventually crying out to God that he would deliver them from their situation. So God hears their cries, he does deliver them. And he calls a man named Moses to be a really important part of it. To lead the people to a land that God had already set aside for them, to a land where they could flourish and become the people that God called them to be. But on the way from Egypt to the promised land, they find themselves wandering in the wilderness, wandering for more than a generation. But God was with them. During that time, he provided for them. He guided them. He gave them his law so that they would know how to live together and how to live in relationship with him. But even as God did all of this, this relationship between God and his people, it wasn't exactly as he wanted it to be because there was still a distance between God and his people. You see, one thing the Old Testament makes really clear is that God is holy and we are not. And that Hebrew word for holy is this word kadosh. And it just means that God is completely other, absolutely unique uncreated, the only uncreated thing, full of radiant glory. He has a weight. He's perfectly just and righteous. All things that we are not. So this kadosh, this holiness of God, it descends on the top of this mountain and he calls the people to gather at the foot of the mountain. Then he calls Moses to climb up the mountain to meet him. But for all of this to work, there had to be rules. The people couldn't approach the mountain unless they followed really specific commands. And if they didn't follow him exactly as he prescribed, they would simply be destroyed by his presence. His holiness, his kadosh, the weight of his goodness was simply too much for them to bear. And y'all, the people were totally aware of this. They pleaded with Moses, begged Moses to protect them from this God to create a distance between them and God. They begged him not only to speak on their behalf to God, but to listen to God on their behalf so that they don't even have to hear the sound of God's voice. That's how terrified they were. And y'all, if we're honest, I think it's completely understandable. God is kadosh, he's holy, completely other, uncreated. There is nothing else like God. And that is terrifying. It is too much weight for any human to bear. Our passage tells us Moses himself, Moses who stood as the sea parted, who stood in front of Pharaoh and found a way that through God his people would be free, that same Moses was trembling with fear when he made his way to this mountain. 
Y'all, that was the nature of God's relationship with Israel. That was Mount Sinai. And this context is so important because understanding this, it actually helps us to explain a tension that we feel even to this day. If you're honest, haven't you wondered what is up with God in the Old Testament? (laughs) Like, why is he the way he is? Why does he seem so angry and violent? Why did it have to be so difficult? Why the distance? Why all the terror and the drama? I thought that God is love and we find in him our peace and our hope and our comfort and our joy. Well, I think the best analogy that I've ever heard um, to help us understand the nature of God, to help us understand what it means that God is holy and we are not, this this analogy, it actually is about 93 million miles away from us today. Um, And today happens to be one of those days that we can't see it, right? But we know it's there. Its pattern never changes. It rises, it sets every day exactly as promised. Sabrina showed you beautiful pictures of it last week. Of course, I'm talking about the sun. Now listen, for the astronomers in here, I am fully aware that there are billions and billions of suns in the universe. But for this analogy to work, you just have to consider our solar system. Okay, fair enough. In our solar system, y'all, there's nothing like it. It is kadosh. It is completely other. It is set apart. It's heavy. It is full of radiant glory. Its power is overwhelming. It is 93 million miles away from us right now, but under the right conditions, what will it do to you? It will burn your skin. It can cause real pain can literally pull the hydration from your body, can even lead to death. Imagine if we were only 92 million miles away from it. What would happen? We wouldn't exist because we're too fragile. We're unable to handle the weight of it on our own. It is a nearly perfect ball of plasma that is heated over and over by unending nuclear reactions. Its power is overwhelming but it is good. It is a violent and terrible storm, but without it, we aren't here. There's no life without it. You see, two things can be true at once. A thing can be both good and life-giving, while at the same time be so powerful that imperfect and fragile beings like us, we can't get too close to it and expect to live. We can't come near it without some type of protection, something that can bear its power and its weight for us. This is the nature of God's relationship with Israel. This was Mount Sinai coming too close to the sun. But everything is about to change. That's why I see another picture in the scripture we read and in our painting today. I see the picture of pure joy. Mary and Elizabeth, they had a clear understanding that everything was about to change. And look, okay, so they're both pregnant and every parent knows that, right? (laughs) Like, you know that going in. Everything is about to change for my family and that's absolutely true. But they knew that the whole world was about to change. When I look at that smile on Mary's face, that's not just the smile of a woman who just found out she's pregnant. (laughs) That is a young woman that knows something that others don't. And if you think that I'm reading too much into a painting, 
Go home today, read Luke 1, 46 through 55. If you don't remember that, just read all of Luke 1. It's good. But read Luke 1, 46 through 55, and you tell me what's on her mind. You read those words and remember that she is a teenage girl, a nobody from nowhere, living under the authority of Rome, who just found out she's pregnant and has no husband. You read her words and you tell me that she's not fully aware that the world will never be the same once this child is born. She knows that God's people will no longer have to go to Mount Sinai and approach God in fear that they will no longer have to be terrified by the sound of God's voice. They will no longer be asked to carry a weight that no human can bear. She knows that we will be invited to a manger to hear the sound of God cry, to hold a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. She knows that God is coming near. As Hebrew says it, a new and better Moses to deliver us once and for all, not just from slavery in Egypt, but from slavery and oppression to evil and sin. And she knows that we no longer have to go to Mount Sinai in fear that we can approach Mount Zion with joy. I mean, listen to it again. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that's burning with fire. You have not come to darkness, to gloom and a storm. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. Listen to it this way. Um, So this is from a writer. It's either from a writer named Thomas Long, or he's summarizing something that comes from the ancient church. I couldn't tell for sure. But here's how he describes what I just read to you in Hebrews 12. In light of the fear and terror that the people of God felt when they approached Mount Sinai, listen to the way that people throughout the centuries have described what's going on at Mount Zion. In heaven, right now, there is a festive and ceaseless party underway with angels fluttering around in joy and the saints swinging from the chandeliers. Every so often, The floor of heaven opens up and the whole thing descends into ordinary time and space. The whole thing descends into ordinary time and space and we are invited to the party when that floor opens wide. This is Christian worship. A wise friend on her way in today, she told me, she said, I told my kids and my grandkids they better come to church because something happens when God's people get together. The Holy Spirit does something. For some of you, I know there are some of you that are here and this is the first time that you've been here in 20 months. The party hasn't been the same without you. (laughs) I'm glad you're here. Something happens when Christians gather together to worship. And I think of this, I think of y'all when I read this, but I also think of a couple other people. I think of my grandparents and you guys have heard me talk about them a lot uh, since they went on to be party guests at Mount Zion. Um, I haven't talked about my granddad too much though. My pop, he was a good man. Um, He was really quiet. Uh, I never saw him get angry. My aunts and uncles would tell you otherwise. Um, But he never really showed much joy either. He was really reserved, really steady and cool. And I'll tell you the story really quick. Uh, When I was really young, uh, I was in the garage with him and he was building something. I have no idea what it was. 
but he's using a saw and there was an accident and he cut his thumb like off. And I would have never known. He just walks up to me and my uncle, who's just a couple years older than me. And he's like, um, yeah, I just had an accident and I cut off my thumb. Um, can you guys look for it? And I'll go get ready to go to the hospital. <laughs> Here's the deal. I was just the right age that I was like, awesome. <laughs> like, Let's find it. <laughs> But he was totally cool, just chill. He was always like that. I mean, it brings me real peace to think of him right now, totally unreserved, just shouting along with the angels right now. My Mimi was sweet and she was kind and she was full of joy and she was really upset when he cut off his thumb. <laughs> um, but she would be brought to tears uh, just by seeing her grandkids walk into the room but we always had to go to her. Um, I have one memory. I have one memory of her really mobile. One memory of going with her to what was then Garden Ridge Pottery in spring because it was indoors and it was big so that she could walk and get some exercise. But every other memory that I have of her, she's either, seated, she's either sitting or lying down because she spent most of her life in pain. In spite of that, I only knew her as a woman that was full of joy, but I never knew her healthy, ever. In heaven right now, angels fluttering around in joy, the saints swinging from the chandeliers, my pop hooting and hollering with the angels, my Mimi swinging from the chandeliers. I mean, come on. Both of them just basking in the joy and the peace that they are finally at one with their savior and finally being made whole again not being resigned to a chair or to a bed, but living the eternal life that God has promised. That brings me real joy and peace and comfort. It reminds me that everything that is broken and flawed, everything that's incomplete is being made whole again. I think that's what Mary and Elizabeth knew. That's the thing they knew that others didn't and it made their joy complete. Their situation was incredibly difficult. Their actual situation in life was incredibly difficult. I literally cannot imagine, obviously, <laughs> bearing a child, much less delivering a child in the Middle East in the first century. I mean, it was incredibly difficult. But these women were overflowing, not just by this image, but the words in scripture. They were overflowing with thanksgiving, with humility, with patience, and with joy. They knew that the floor of heaven was about to open up and real worship could begin. They knew that one day soon, God's people would finally be able to approach God without fear. Amen? I want you to listen to the way Hebrews 12 ends. It says this, it says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. I wanna bring these pieces together with that because the truth is that the God in the Old Testament is the same as the God in the New Testament. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What's different is the place where we go to meet him. Yes, God is a consuming fire. Uh, other verses in Hebrews 12 talks about God being the earthquake, but the fire and the shaking of God, it is not punishment. 
It is not God's vengeance being taken out on us. When it talks about God's fire, that is a metaphor in scripture. It's a way of proclaiming the good news that God is gonna fundamentally transform this world. That he is gonna shake and burn away everything that separates us from him. That he's gonna rid this world of injustice and evil once and for all. That he is going to make all things new again. Man, I'm thankful to hear that. When you find yourself stuck watching the news or just hearing about the nonsense happening in the world every day, go back to Hebrews 12. He'll shake it loose. He's the only one who can. The metaphor, he'll burn away the impurities. He will get rid of the things that are keeping us from being in relationship with him. And I am thankful for that. But with that, there's a challenge. Because the truth is, every single one of us, one day, we are going to come face to face with this God. And the question is, to which mountain are we gonna go to meet him? Will we take the invitation to the party at Zion? Or will we settle for Sinai? You see, I think some in our world, maybe even some of us, we think that if we're good enough, that if we can be righteous enough, that our good deeds will win over God and convince him, I mean, how could you not let me in? I'm good enough, right? And I'll approach him based on what I've done. What happens when you get too close to the sun? What happens when you approach the power, when you approach the power and the intensity of that life-giving body without something to cover and protect you? Something that can bear the weight that you can't. It just doesn't work. And y'all approaching the consuming fire of God on Mount Sinai, that terrifies me and it should terrify you because we would be utterly destroyed under the weight of our own sin. We would be overwhelmed by his holiness, crushing our unholiness. That's why scripture calls Jesus our holiness. It calls him our righteousness, our shield and our protector, our shepherd, who will guide us, who will stand in the place. Let his holiness be what is presented to God so that we will be accepted and reunited with the one who made us and loves us. You see, the good news is that God has established another mountain. He knows his power and his holiness is too much for us to bear. He knows that we can't get close to him on our own power and survive. So he descended becoming one of us, God with us. You are no longer coming to a mountain burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and a storm. You're invited to come and see the child, to come and see God descended, to see that God has approached us and is inviting us to a party like no other. So that's the good news that screams out from this passage, the good news screaming to us from the brush strokes of this artist. It's the good news that a religion has now been replaced with a relationship. That Mount Sinai, that's religion. Clean yourself up, follow this list of instructions before you dare approach God, and when you do, just hold on tight and hope for the best. That's religion. It always fails. Brothers and sisters around the world who are of other faiths, 
If you ask him at the end of the day, every other faith in this world, if you ask him at the end of the day, how do you get to the promised land? How do you get to be united with God? And they say, the best we can do is try to do more good than bad and hope for the best. I had a Muslim say those words to me exactly. That that's the hope. Man, I'm thankful that's not our hope. That's religion and it always fails. And we aren't here today or throughout the season to practice religion. Y'all, we're here to celebrate, to anticipate the party because religion has been replaced by relationship. The moment the sun came to us, we weren't burned, we weren't scarred, we weren't dehydrated, we weren't destroyed by his presence. The opposite happened. We were made whole again. So we should be grateful and thankful that we are invited not to religion, but into relationship. But we do have to choose. Which one? Religion is actually easier. Give me a list of things that I can do and I'll do it. Relationship is harder. (laughs) Because you have to be vulnerable. And you have to trust. And you have to participate. It's harder. It's good. The people who are swinging from the chandeliers, hooting and hollering with the angels, they did not put their trust in themselves. They put their faith, their trust, and their hope in Jesus. Glory to God in the highest. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful and we gather together every Sunday to be reminded and express to you just how grateful we are that you have made another way. That exhausting pattern of just trying to be good enough, that that was never your plan, that that is not good news, that the good news is that your goodness covers us and protects us. It makes us holy reforms that image that you made us in in the garden so that we can be with you in your eternal kingdom forever. So God, help us. Help us to remember. Help us to have that vision during this Advent season that we are being invited to a joy-filled party. Not a boring and dull religion. (laughs) That we are to reflect and remember what you have done and that we can now approach you with nothing but joy, with nothing but hope, and experience your love for us. So God, I pray today that you would not only put that vision in us, but help us voice that vision out into the world, that wherever it is that we go, that we could be a voice of that hope, that we could be a voice of reconciliation, that we could help the rest of the world see you do not have to go to Sinai. Come with us to Zion. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and all God's people said, amen. Amen.